We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Gavin, you're up. We don't, you're the only one who's made a prediction. Let's go. All right. Um, I'm, I'm sticking um, to some extent in the awards conversation. And my uh, initial bold prediction is that Mitchell Robinson uh, makes an all defense team this year. And that, wow. that, 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 that is bold. Is that, that is almost in a way saying that he is top three to five in defensive player that your voting is generally centers are the most impactful defensive player. Um, obviously only one of them gets a spot on these teams. So it is the most competitive position, but I, I will, I will start off actually like talking a little bit about his competition for why I think this is feasible versus uh, Mitch's merits and himself. Uh, Robert Williams, uh, we know out for 12 weeks, so presumably that takes him out of the running. Uh, Jared Allen, I think is going to lose some thunder because I think Evan Mobley is going to be considered the defensive player um, of note on that team. Uh, Bam has made the team the last three years as a power forward. Um, obviously, I don't know why I have him in the middle because he's, he's the most obvious candidate. Uh, Rudy Gobert uh, sh- probably will make this team, probably should make it every year. He's still relatively close to his prime. But I, I kind of think Minnesota, like as bad as his tertiary talent was defensively in Utah, and he didn't have someone as good as um, uh, which McDaniel, Jaden McDaniels um, yes. on, on the Jazz. Um, I kind of think they could still be quite bad just because I think cat guarding on the perimeter full time is going to be such a disaster there. So maybe, maybe that's, that's, that's a step too far, but I could see a world where Rudy somehow misses it. Um, on Atlanta, I think Capella and Okongwu kind of cancel each other out. They both split minutes pretty evenly. Um, Joel Embiid. Embiid. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. He is the. He's a decent shot. The The only thing I could throw out there is if is Philly is as good as people think they are. And I, I don't see a world that they run away with the number one seed, but they have those championship aspirations. Maybe he has more scheduled off days this year. And that, that's a little bit of a reach because he, he's some, I think this is going to kind of be his season. I think he's, he's going to win everything. So he might be the guy I put on there. And then um, the one other guy I was thinking of was Anthony Davis, but I think his best defensive days might be behind him. Um, so for the case for Mitchell Robinson himself, I, I think we've all seen just how he looks this preseason. I mean, aesthetically, he, he seemingly combined the best of last year and the best of his first three seasons in the NBA in terms of the combination of bulk and mobility. And uh, John, I think you were talking about this when you had uh, Fred Katz on the other day um, oh. where, where he was citing um, some of the quotes 
from Tibbs and and I was reading the article he wrote on it and Tibbs just seems like he's, he's salivating over where yep. Mitchell Robinson as well. And there, this was a quote on him. I'm switching. Um, he, and he said, he, he said he's basically never done it as well as he's doing it now, because I think initially he relied strictly on his athleticism. He wouldn't have technique, but he re- could recover and still challenge the shot. Now he's combined his knowledge, experience, better technique, strength and conditioning. So I think it's hard to get around. I think he has amazing potential defensively. Uh, say what you will about Tibbs, the guy, knows defense. I, I, for one, thought Mitch had this ceiling as early as his rookie year. And I was a little disheartened last year when I thought he lost some of the verve he had on the perimeter and some of the verve like he had as a rookie when he was squatting James Harden step back threes. I think he could recover some of that. I think the rebounding numbers could be ridiculous on both ends. I think the shot blocking could get back to some of the highs he had earlier in his career. And I think he can balance that out while still not fouling, only fouled out four times last year. So that is uh, maybe maybe my boldest prediction. So maybe maybe I'm coming in hot early, but this this is the one I get on Nick's film school. So I'll, I'll bring it out now. I think the the fact I, I I'm admittedly do not pay attention to the positional designations on all defense, and I had not I for some reason I hadn't realized that Bam makes can make it as a forward, which obviously he can because the positional stuff is just fucking wild. I mean they. Made, made Jokic uh, available to be voted as a you know forward for All NBA and Embiid too. Um, that said, I think Gobert's a Gobert to me for all defense is the is perhaps the lockiest of locks for like any uh, only him missing games I think would would prevent him from making that team. So really, to me, this is a conversation about is is he going to get the last spot? And I just think. If it wasn't for, I mean, but then again, Embiid, I mean, how many games would Embiid have to miss for, for, and assuming Mitch plays, you know, 70 something games, how many games would Embiid have to miss if he had a commensurate Embiid defensive type season? That's, that's to me with this question. Probably 30 is probably. Yeah. I think at least 30. Yeah. I'd say, what if the Knicks have a, I don't know, a top three defense though i mean yeah that was that was the last part of my point i didn't really get into but that's that another uh staff from john's newsletter i'm, I'm, I'm citing you a lot in this one john um but top top eight defense last year without kemba walker like that i think that's totally feasible with better other personnel across the board i'm, I'm also without kemba. Yeah. oh okay also yeah with, there you go yeah. i'm with the potential scenario where cat drags rudy gobert into the muck with him and makes wow him look less good on defense i the second they made that trade, I said, I was like, I see what they're trying to do. Their idea here is like, oh, we'll just do what the Cavs did this year, but better because we have two all-stars, except Cat can't play defense and Mobley is like going to be a defensive god in his career. Like, <laughs> and that's the big difference there. And it's a huge one. Like he he couldn't even defend the center position. Like, what makes you think these? There's no way. I mean, he's going to get absolutely toasted on the perimeter, and then that's going to create weird situations again where the T Wolves, I think, are going to have to be making decisions about like. I also forget which McDaniel's it is in in Minnesota, but you know, are we going to play the the McDaniel's, uh, uh, or are we going to play? you know, cat, or are we going to play the McDaniels with cat and let Gobert sit on the bench for certain moments? Like, I don't know, but I, I really, that pairing as a defensive unit, I think is one of, has one of the highest chances to fail of any 
like all-star pairing in the NBA right now. Like, Interesting. That's pretty yeah. bold. Uh, uh, yeah, if we're, if we're doing general NBA predictions, I don't. On, I don't <laughs> buy that. I do Tim, not. Timberwolves film school. And drop that. <laughs> do they have one? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think about this one? Um. Well, you know, Isaiah Hardenstein's right there. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Stiff competition. Sims too. Wow. Yeah, I know. Do they, do they award the award based I, off fouls per thirty six? Or they should. But actually, Hardenstein playing. Like be, not being very good on defense, I think would also have to happen for because mm. Mitch would have to. It would have. It would have to be a narrative part of it where it would be like, "Wow, the Knicks' defense really falls apart every time Mitch steps off the floor." Which would go to my first prediction. So maybe I should. Mitch I should is, get Mitch on board. Get on the bandwagon. Let's go. Yeah, Mitch so, is going to be a b-ball IQ darling this year. He definitely is. I'm calling it right now. The, the only other thing I'll, I'll say very very quickly is like, but I was so quick to point out the the point about bam being a very good one but forward is all is just getting loaded because last year the forwards on the team were Giannis, jaron jackson jr who is going to miss time this year um bam and draymond so if mobley takes a step up and forces his way into one of those forward spots will voters then be left with a, a more difficult decision about like oh can we you know, can we sneak one of these guys, one of these big centers into a forward? So I don't know. It's going to be tough, but I, I like it. I, I, I would definitely sign for if you say he finishes third amongst centers or gets the most votes for uh, any center that doesn't make the team. I, I think that's that I'd, I'd put some money on, I think. But yeah. well, let me ask you when in 2020, 2021, when the Knicks finished with the fourth best defensive rating in the league, did Nerlens Noel make the all defense team. No, he did not. He did not. Too close. Is Mr. Robinson a better player than Nerlens Noel? Yes. Yes. I just think that again, with these awards, they are so narrative driven that it's going to be looked at as like Tibbs coalescing a group of near duels who have never played defense in their life. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And he's found a way to make them impactful. And as a unit, you know, the sum is greater than the parts I, in which they exist. And yeah, I think that's, that that's, that's the block numbers are going to need someone to like to supersede. Yeah. Right. We're like Jared Allen or Evan Mobley, like those types of younger players. Who's then like Clint Capella, um, you know, like someone who can stand out and really like either the narrative that's created for them. And again, I don't want it to feel like, Oh, it's just the media. Like it's not, but at the same time, the media is who votes on these awards. And I just think that the media likes who they like and dislikes who they dislike. And especially when it comes to basketball and it would be fun to see Mitchell Robinson in that position, but there's not the glitz and glamor that comes with it. And I think that that's why they will look for someone who is more established. Um, And you have to really earn it to get there. I hope this is the year that Mitchell Robinson earns it to get there. I just, I don't believe it. I'm gonna I mean, I, okay. I'm wait, gonna, if I may, real quick. Yeah. If we're talking about that, the counting stats have to be at a certain level. I mean, what do you? Because it's like Rudy Gobert is a three-time Defensive Player of the Year, six-time All Defense. I mean, most years he gets about three stocks. Per but game. he has the on-off to where, right. which I think that Mitch huge. has a really good chance of getting this year. So if that I, matches up. Yeah, like, I'm but with not you if on the Knicks that. have have enough. Uh, firepower behind Mitchell Robinson. I I think I I agree. Yeah. 
with what you said about the team two years ago, that it was definitely a whole greater than the sum of its parts. And Mitch was, and and the fact that there was a real conversation of like, who's, who's the next best defensive center. Like at the time that was a real, that was a thing. Um, I, my gut feeling, I think it's going to be a different narrative this year. I think Mitch is going to come out and is going to, it will be like, Oh wow. He's the anchor, like great scheme. Guys are trying hard. The whole thing. He's the anchor. He's the straw that stirs the drink. I, I'm, I'm with you on that point, Gavin. I, I don't know that I could get to all defense, but I'm with you on that. My last thing I'll just add, there is a difference too in Noel versus Mitch and like how aesthetically they looked on the court. Even if Noel did do a great job when tasked to in 2021, like he teams weren't afraid to go inside like they are with Mitch. Like, I think that when you get these voters, like a Zach Lowe or something that like, like Zach Lowe is like a tastemaker, right? Like as far as these awards go. And like, I feel like a Zach Lowe is not going to look at what Nerlens was doing and be like, he is such a presence. The teams don't even dare go in there. It was yeah. more like, wow, his timing is like godlike sometimes. And he makes some amazing blocks, but like, guys are consistently challenging him because they don't necessarily feel like he's that dude. Whereas Mitch, it's like when he's on the floor now, teams don't even try to go inside. Like they actively avoid going into the paint because he's that much of a presence. And I feel like as long as the numbers bear that out, if guys start noticing that like on tape, that'll play a big part in that like whole narrative part of it too, which is just that Mitch is just like such a presence that, it's like visibly more noticeable than like a Noel type where that did feel like more of some of the parts. Also, Mitch is like 20 times the rebounder that Noel is too, which yep. helps his case. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I like this first round. This is a good first round. So now we're going to transition to round two, which will start with me again. So we're gonna have two more predictions on this episode, me and Jeremy. Um, I This is bold, but it's also boring. I think I'm going to just come out and say it. Um, I don't think it's going to get the blood flowing, but it is it is bold when you consider the jump that it would require to get to this. This is an R.J. Barrett prediction. Um, I think R.J. Barrett is going to hit 200 three pointers um, this season. So a little bit of context uh, so far in R.J. Barrett's career. So last year was even though he took a and this is part of why I, I'm making this, even though he took a very big dip in percentage, he fell from a 40% three-point shooter to a 34.2% three-point shooter. His number of threes made, um, despite playing about the same number of games, uh, uh, increased. So the We Here season, he hit 120-something. 124. 124. Of course, I can't find it when I need it. And last season... It was 138. So I am obviously predicting 138 to 200 is a big jump. Here's why I think he gets there. I think he's going to take 500 threes. Now, 500 threes sounds like a lot. Um, last season in the NBA, 23 players. Um, yeah, 23 players. Yeah, 23 players attempted at least 500 threes. So about, you know, uh, Three for every four teams, you know, three of them had a player that that attempted 500 threes. I think he's going to get to 40 percent from deep. Um, so 40 percent of 500. There's your there's your 200. And then the big part of this for me and the reason I'm making it because I wanted to make this point is based on what we saw in preseason. 
I think for the Knicks starting offense to function as well as it can function, I think RJ is going to have to spend a lot of time being ready to spot up from deep and get kickout passes, not only from Julius Randle, which obviously he made a living of doing two years ago, too much success, but also from Jalen Brunson. I think the Knicks are going to, with that starting unit in particular, and we kind of touched on this earlier in one of the conversations we had, um, like for, for that unit to function, I think Julius, like Julius is obviously the, the less reliable three-point shooter between him and RJ. So that to me says that, okay, Julius is going to be doing more of his work inside the arc. Um, and if he's, doing the stuff that he did during this preseason. I think that could go pretty well, but you could only get so many guys who are doing the predominant amount of their work inside the arc. I think RJ is going to shoot a lot of threes when he's out there with the starters. And I think he's going to play a significant amount of it's with the bench. And when he does that, I think that's where we're going to see more of him driving the lane and then kicking out to guys like, you know, Emmanuel quickly, Derek Rose, Quentin Grimes, so on and so forth. So, um, I think he gets to 200. I think he's going to have a really good year from deep. I think he's going to have his most efficient season by far. Uh, yeah, that's my second prediction. I like it. It is certainly bold. I mean, but it's not even unprecedented on the Knicks <laughs> considering Fournier last year. Yeah, I was going to say, Evan Fournier last year. I mean, granted, it's a little different because it was the COVID season and he only played 66 games, but that year he set his career high uh at 173 in 2019-20 and then last year hit 241 yep and he took damn near 200 more attempts but also shot about what you're saying granted now last year for him to hit 241 threes and break that next record he had to take 619 yes attempts which is a far cry from 500 also um I would. Can I just say in the preseason, sure. do you have any idea how many uh, threes six, per 36 six per game, six per and, game I know. at 7.9 per 36. Now, mm-hmm. if we assume RJ Barrett's going to play 30, I don't know, 33, 34 minutes a game. I'm not saying he's going to shoot threes at the same rate, but it's, I don't think it's crazy to expect I, him to take seven threes a game. Yeah. I mean, I will just say if it's even a hair below that, if he's at six attempts per game and let's say he plays 80 games, that's, then you're at 480 and that's not 580 just yeah. just a hair under so yeah it's it it's definitely bold it's a yeah. bold prediction i will give you that i don't think this one is like very tame at all to be honest i think this is a pretty this is pretty spicy this all is, right this has got some yeah. skull units to it this is, this is a spicy prediction i like that <laughs> yeah I, I agree i mean just the, the combination of, of volume and efficiency that's necessary is 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 a lot um i think there are reasons to like it and mainly just the amount of creation that the Knicks have in their starting lineup. Obviously Brunson is just so far ahead of any point guard he's ever played with. And nominally your, your lead ball handler is going to be the guy who, who gets those corner threes, those like wide open wing threes. And I think Brunson will consistently draw that kind of attention. Um, Julius has discovered the the, the magic of, of quick passing of ticky talky. Like who knew there was European basketball out there this whole time. And he finally he found it. This I love summer. it. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, it's a whole yeah, other so- continent. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and look, whether it's Fournier or Grimes, I think either one of those guys are, are great connectors at the shooting guard position and underrated. I think Fournier in particular this preseason, and we, we started seeing this the second half of last year, clearly is is putting a real emphasis on, I guess it makes sense, given his, his nationality on embracing that European style of basketball and making quick passes and making quick decisions. And for someone who's very shot happy, is very unselfish. E- even Mitch, I think, trying to imitate Jericho Sims a little, we saw as the year went on, would kick it out more um, off of offensive rebounds. So I, I think the volume to, to your point, John, is going to be there, even if with the improved form, I, I think 40% is going to be tough just because there are going to be a few more self-created threes mixed in relative to what he had his second year. But if he, if he puts up enough, it, it could happen. I, I, I think it's good. Again, the, the combination of how efficient he has to be and how many he has to shoot makes it tough for me, but I, I think he could definitely get close. But uh, Jeremy, where are you at on all this? I feel like the one thing that hasn't been mentioned, which is important, is pace. Mm. How well, up tempo yeah. the Knicks are as a team will determine how many shots they take. It's a good call. And that will then affect the quantity of RJ Barrett. I don't think he gets to 500. I think he could, you know, like looking at his stats every year, again, where it's like 197 in a short year, 309 in a normal, well, 10 games short, and then 404 last year. Whereas he actually played two fewer games than the year prior. Like, I think he could get to the 450, maybe 475 mark. Do I think he can hit to 200 on that pace? I don't. I think that's going to be tricky for him to do. But, um, but I love the attitude. I would love to see him hit 200. I just think it's, um, it needs to be someone who's much more catch and shoot focused, like a Fournier, like a Grimes. Yes. Where, and- Grimes, yeah. again, like it sucks to see him miss time and that would condense the window he has to hit 200 threes. But I think ultimately it's really going to just going to be Fournier who gets to that, assuming he's still on the team. And if he's not, he'll be the only guy who is on pace to get 200 before being potentially traded. The, the one other thing I'll just add on the efficiency front from from three is RJ. RJ wasn't good from deep anywhere last year, but he was not atrocious for on catch and shoots. He was atrocious on pull-ups and he took a lot of pull-ups. I, I think at some point there was some thought that maybe that pull-up number would increase this year. I no longer think that I think based on the comments, based on what we've seen, he is going to lean into his bread and butter, which is I'm going to drive. I'm going to make plays on my drives and I'm going to hit catch and shoot three. So I think the pull-ups that might lower that percentage will go down and it's going to be more of the catch and shoot variety, which I think will, will, help. I don't know if it gets them there, but we'll see. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about Factor. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals to your doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep. Not to mention cleanup. No dishes to wash here. Each factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering in. Factor tackles the tough stuff so I don't have to. Their registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. And with 29 meal options each week, I'm never bored. Going off script for this next part to tell you just how convenient and delicious I've found Factor. My to-do list is usually never-ending. I rarely have time for meal prep. When Factor sent me a box to test out, I chose the extra protein option. They sent me a week's worth of meals, and I had no idea just how convenient this was going to be. 
Each meal comes pre-prepared. You just put it in the microwave for two minutes, wait another two minutes for it to cool down, and boom, in four minutes, my meal is ready, and it's delicious as well. Last night while I was editing this podcast, I heated up the pork shepherd's pie with white cheddar Yukon mash and roasted green beans. Not only was the prep time non-existent, but I was able to get a lunch break in and still get the podcast out for all of you to hear without taking a significant break. They have plenty of other meal options as well. There's vegan and veggie meals, keto, low-calorie options, cold-pressure juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, the one I chose, veggie sides, and more to keep you fueled and focused all day long. Don't hesitate. Head to go.factor75.com slash filmschool60 and use code filmschool60 to get 60% off your first box. That's code filmschool60 at go.factor75.com slash filmschool60 to get 60% off your first box. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh my god! Ow! Oh! Ouch! Oh no! It's a bloodbath in here! There's gotta be a way to keep my dagger clean and shiny safely than this! This is what I used to deal with when I cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Which is why I now say thank you, Manscaped, for keeping my dagger slick and ready for wherever the night takes me. Manscaped is trusted by over 6 million men worldwide. Join the movement by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMSCHOOL. It's time to end the days where shaving your balls becomes the final scene of a horror movie. The folks at Manscaped have the perfect package for your package to get this done. The -the below-the-waist grooming leaders have a fourth-generation performance package. Inside, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, liquid formulations, and two free gifts. Spooky season is here and Manscaped is getting you set, starting with the Lawnmower 4.0. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Also included is their weed whacker. This nose and ear hair trimmer is here to whack your weeds and any goblins that come your way. Both the lawnmower and the weed whacker are waterproof. So in the comfort of your own home or in wild waters, these tools are your best friends. Speaking of your best friends, don't forget to give your testies besties the love they desire with Manscaped's liquid formulations. First is the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. 
Hey, you put deodorant under your armpits, why not put deodorant on your balls? And can't forget about the Crop Reviver Ball Reviver to give your boys a boost. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Spend spooky season using the best tools for the job at Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with promo code FILMSCHOOL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use promo code FILMSCHOOL. Slay your worst pubes and keep your dagger clean during spooky season at Manscaped. Uh, Jeremy, you're up. All right, well... Uh, since this is, I'm the last one before we transition to Locked on Knicks, so it would not be a Knicks Film School podcast if I did not have something about the salary cap. Oh boy! So um, honored, honored to be here for this. Well, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna bury the lead just for a moment, and uh, everyone's favorite uh, Schrodinger's cap of will the Knicks be over the cap or under the cap? Now, the one thing that uh, John and I talked about was how crap this upcoming free agency is in 2023. And the prevailing thought was, all right, well, the Knicks project to be over the cap, but if they wanted to be under the cap, there's really one player who makes sense based on how the team is constructed. And that would be Andrew Wiggins. Now, Andrew Wiggins signed a four-year, $109 million deal. It was a, seems like a good deal for both sides. I thought Wiggins might get, you know, if he went to another team, the tax, quote-unquote tax for getting his services might be like 30 mil a year. So, um, but nevertheless, he's extending there. So the question becomes, well, like, what do you do? Right? You have your, you basically have the deadline where that's it's not the last time where you can clear salary cap space. But we saw because we saw like how the Knicks were able to get Brunson. But that's also one of the better times you can do it before you might have to start shelling out picks to make that cap space. So I think the Knicks will stay over the cap, and I think that they find a way to get one OG Ananobi. Whoa, that's my big one. And again, it does. I'm not saying it'll be at the deadline, although for this, for the sake of this, because we're saying, are we counting the off season as this season? Because it's yeah, sure. been a full year. All right. So at some point over the next 12 months, I think they'll go after him. Um, so we, I just want to say, we talked about the Wiggins thing a little bit on Sunday, me and Andrew, but we, there was no discussion of OG and an OB. Might, please. <laughs> again, well, we talked a little bit about it a couple months ago, I believe, but the, the crux of it, really is that the Raptors are in a really interesting spot, which is they've got Van Vliet who can opt out after this season. They've got Gary Trent Jr. who will opt out after this season. And then the year after that, they have Ananobi who can opt out after that season. The way I see it is they want to prioritize Van Vliet and they'll want to prioritize Gary Trent Jr. They also need to resign Pascal Siakam and then they've got Scotty Barnes and they need to pay down the line as well. They don't have a real five. We saw what Gasol did for the Raptors when they, I mean, they obviously had Kawhi, but I get the sense they need a, a more traditional five, so to speak. And if they do have that, someone of the five players I just named has to be out of the starting lineup. And again, I don't think it's Van Vliet or Gary Trent Jr. They're not going to move Scotty Barnes. And I don't think Siakam's going anywhere. And I think Ananobi, the fact for them is, well, he's, he's going to opt out. We don't want to pay him. He's not going to want to come off the bench anyway. How can we find a way to move him for someone better? Obviously, we talked about Mitchell Robinson. There was the possibility of, hey, Mitchell Robinson and Raptors interest. And look, I don't know if the Knicks want to go down that path. Because first of all, if you trade Mitchell Robinson, there's a bit of a drop-off between Robinson and Hartenstein. And a bit might be a little um, 
kind. Robinson's yeah. just a better player. And the Knicks then would need to be finding a center. Then the other factor is what salary are you moving out, right? Because if it's not Robinson, you know, you've got Randall there, but then you're moving Fournier, but if Fournier is off the like there's all this roster movement that I can't quite parse out. But I think it comes to like again with Cam Reddish, archetype wise, he's very much what the Raptors want. Talent wise, I don't really see it. But the Knicks mm-hmm. acquired Cam Reddish for one of two reasons. Number one, to go above the salary cap if they want to extend him. Or number two, if they feel like he's a better value asset than the pick they traded, he's matching salary. He's expendable. There's some way you can do it where you also throw in some sort of pick combination. So I just see the position that Ananobi has as precarious. I think that the Knicks ultimately want someone like him who can, you know, who can be a little bit more versatile, especially on the defensive end where he's able to really strike. Again, what exactly the pieces are, I don't know. You could you could honestly say like there's Hartenstein and then Reddish is filler and then an unprotected first in the you know couple of years and what and the Mavs pick. Is that something that the Raptors bite on? I honestly couldn't tell you, but I think that there's enough interest in what Anobi brings to the table and his situation in Toronto that just makes this something very much worth watching. That, I, wow. I'm floored. I, I actually have an immediate pushback. I don't think the Knicks would look at that sort of deal at all, to be completely honest. And here's why. I think if you look at like the types of deals that the Leon Rose regime has made so far, it's been like cat bullshit. We'll just want to call it that, you know, like the Ed Davis type stuff. Let's stockpile some second round picks. We'll move one player from one team to another, you know, all the draft night moves prior to this year. This year was a little different, but the other ones where it's like, all right, well, we know we could trade back three spots. We'll take like three yeah. second round picks in exchange for that, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever. Fine. That's just cap crap. Uh, sorry, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> but then I, I know it's a personal insult. I'm very sorry, <laughs> but you said something bad about the Mets earlier. So I, I'm not sorry. Never mind. Um, but then the second type of trade is buy low slash extremely low risk, right? It was like, Derek Rose on the tail end of his career playing for the Pistons. Maybe it's still good. Maybe it's just okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll trade Dennis Smith. Who's nothing. And you know, a second round pick for him or, Oh, Cam Reddish. Yeah. We'll trade a quote unquote first round pick for him, but really it's, it's a glorified second round pick. Let's be real. Like it's that pick is never going to convey higher than like pick 18 and more than likely is probably going to be two second round picks now that Charlotte is probably not going to be very good. Um, so that's going to be second round picks. So you trade second round picks for Cam Reddish, extremely low risk, high reward type thing. The other type of trade they haven't pulled off yet, but the only other type of trade that we've really seen them be interested in is a true needle moving star. And that's the only thing that they're willing to like push any modicum of, of chips in for. And they don't seem particularly likely to to go after someone to me of Ananobi's caliber because I think that they would look at an Ananobi and say clearly we've got at least enough gravitas to land these sort of mid-tier high role player level free agents because two summers in a row they've now landed one one in Fournier which say whatever you want about him that was a get like that was a get when they got him they took him directly from a division rival he was a career like almost 20 point per game scorer or like at least for the last like five years prior to that. And, you know, a legitimate offensive weapon and, and viewed to be a huge upgrade at that time. And then this year they get Brunson, 
who falls in that same category of like, you know, that I don't want to call Ananobi or Brunson or whatever, a glue guy, but you know, like a guy that you look at and you say, does that guy really have the upward mobility to be like a star star? Or is he just going to be like one of the three or four best players on a really good team, which there's nothing wrong with that. There's still really good players, but I, I feel like that's where Ananobi slots in. And because of that, I feel like I just, I would love to be proven wrong because I like Ananobi as a player. And I think that deal you out, especially if they could do the Hardenstein one, like sign me up for that in a heartbeat. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> no pun intended. But uh, like, I just don't, the, I can't really envision them making that move in my head just based off of the profile of all the deals that they've done to this point in the Leon Rose regime. Can I tell you why I feel like they might though? Yes. Uh, you named Evan Fournier. Mm-hmm. Evan Fournier and the Dallas first round pick was the offer that the Knicks reportedly made for Karis LeVert, who mm-hmm. d- does not fall in the star category and who does not fall in the buy low option that you mentioned before. Yeah. I, I just think that there's something to be said where, and you, you talked about how like the last couple of years, the Knicks have been able to get the free agents that they've tried ideally wanted. And that's accurate. But what happens in a year in which no free agent like that exists where you effectively have to, if you want to take that next step, you have to then bank on internal development or you need to trade for that player. And I just see the Knicks and how it is a fact that the Knicks have to consolidate their roster in some capacity. And I don't just mean like, yeah, trading like Fournier to clear up a spot for Cam Reddish or trading Cam Reddish because he's an expendable salary, like that sort of thing. They need to to really trim the fat a lot. And when you look at the fact that they have two first round picks this year, that they have uh Rokas Jakobitis who's overseas, like there are ways for them to tend to their needs. Like is Jericho Sims really going to be a third cent, a third string center this year and next year? Hell is he going to be a third string center for this entire season? If everyone's healthy, I just think that the way you have to then trade up for these guys is getting free agents in the building getting them to these contracts, using them as matching salary and moving from there. OG Ananobi is a good player. He's not a great player. He's a really good player. He's somewhere in that range of like, again, he's not going to be a star, but you at least level up. Do you then level up with him in another trade later? I don't really know, but I think he's very close to that Levert type where you just try to make the team better and you have enough assets where you feel comfortable doing that. And with the Knicks having 11 first round picks in the next seven years, and the need again to consolidate with the youth, I think that it's something that they would seriously consider. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's interesting just to think about like the the lineup implications of that and, and who the Knicks are, are giving up on. Are you are they sending Randall somewhere in a second move and playing a little bit smaller? Are they trying to go bigger and like push RJ down to the two and OG the three, Randall the four? Personally, like I I love having like a lineup with OG Grimes and Mitch out there. It was just, just crazy defensive. I mean, you almost are doing a little bit of a Raptors thing at that point in terms of your size and physicality and flexibility. Um, look, I, I love OG as a player. I mean, I, I thought the last two years he was going to break out and be an all-star and that hasn't quite happened. He had a monster year from an efficiency perspective, two seasons ago, he was 49% yeah. from the field, 39% from three, and then fell off a little bit in both those areas this year. And I yeah. attribute some of that just to like the, the somewhat clunky nature of the, of the Raptors offense and not, I think if the Knicks were to say we, we getting him to play a little bit smaller and to move off Randall, we want him to be our power forward. And I mean, that the OB uh, supporters can like set themselves on fire in that scenario. But I I think he's, he's the kind of player where you're like, 
Yeah, that, that's worth it just because of what he brings from a two-way perspective and the fact that he can pop down to the three in some lineups and play with Obi a little bit more easier than someone like Randall can. So I'm I'm for it. Um, I The only pushback I have is, to your point, if, if Cam is the guy in that trade instead of Mitch, will they be willing to include first-round picks to make it? Because they'd have to include first-round picks to yeah. make it happen, right? And we, I, I mean, we, we just had Ian Begley on the pod and he, he was saying, like, his quote-unquote bold prediction was that they will trade for an all-star before the start of next season. And I guess this is kind of Alex's point. Like I would just be surprised if they used any draft capital ammunition on that kind of trade um, before they made a star trade and before knowing what the cost would be for that star. Um, so that's, that's my holdup, but uh, John, you're, you're about to talk. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump in and say the thing that's nice about the, about an, an, an OBN edition is I feel like the whole summer since the Donovan Mitchell trade um, happened with, with Cleveland, we've all been kind of sitting here and be like, okay, so, so what is the path? Right. And we've kind of settled in this, in this area of like, okay, well it's internal development, which then will either necessitate them only trading for one star or will improve the asset base to the point where you trade more by way of players and less by way of picks. And then you leave yourself more to trade for the second star, so on and so forth. Trading for someone like Ananobi in theory then, because I agree with what's generally been said about him, is he a, I don't know, is he a top 50 NBA player? Is he a top 60 NBA player? Is he a guy who maybe he's higher than me? He's a top 40 NBA player. I was with, I'm with you, Gavin. Early on last season, I thought he would, he would had a good chance of making the all-star team because I thought he was going to be the best player on that team. Now, all of a sudden, you look up and it's like, is OG Ananobi the, is he the fourth best player on this, on this Toronto team? Is he going to start? Like, we still don't really know that. Um, but he, I believe he's really, really good and might be good enough to the point where if you add him to Bronson and Barrett, then all of a sudden you're looking at, okay, can we now parlay Randall and all of the picks into the one, that one star that then puts us over the top. So it's, it's kind of a bridge move, um, which I think they would do presuming it doesn't cost them too many picks or maybe not anything more than one of their own picks. The reason I have a hesitation with it is twofold. One, I do think it would require Mitch and I think it would, but the only way I think Mitch was to be the centerpiece of that deal is if Mitch kills it this season. And what I, to Alex, what you were saying before about the, what this front office does and does not do, I think they've been risk averse, generally speaking. Um, even with the Mitchell stuff, the, the trade, I think they were, they approached that fairly risk averse. So, so the notion that Mitchell Robinson would come out and now I'll go back to Gavin's prediction and would have an all defense type season and then, and back, be the backbone of a top three or four defense. And then he would then flip, they would flip him for a guy that isn't, wouldn't automatically like elevate them to a certain other level. And honestly, I'm, I'm I would be a little worried about the fit. And this is the other point. Cause it's like, Again, he's a guy. He can he operate off the ball? Yes. Does he like to have the ball? Yes. Like it's very similar to, to RJ Barrett in that sense. Um, man, he's clearly available, but I just I wonder what the price for him would be. Like they did, they could have traded him this summer, and they didn't want to. Who, who knows what they were asking for from uh, from Portland to make that happen? It's an interesting one, though. I'm going to spend some time thinking about this one. That was good, Jeremy. Thank you. The other thing to consider, you know, we could think about like, oh, Mitch Froji and, and whatever draft comp gets in there, but. That's also the beauty of a three-team deal. Like I look at the Spurs. Are they really going to want to keep Pirtle? 
what team drafted Yaka Pirtle, you might ask? Yeah. Well, technically the Knicks, but the Toronto Raptors, <laughs> effectively. Uh, or I guess the Nuggets. Well, regardless, he was on the Raptors. And that sort of philosophy where, like, if you move Fournier and a first-round pick to San Antonio, and they move Pirtle to the Raptors, and uh, the Knicks also throw in a first-round pick to the Raptors. And, and an over, like there yeah. are several different ways you can go about this where it works. I just, again, I look at everything that's there. Um, hopefully Mitch is so valuable to the Knicks that they can't get away with trading him. It A lot of it's going to be in flux, but I just, I hear you in terms of that they're not going to want to like make that upgrade until they get a star. I think that they can do the reverse order. I think that they have tried and demonstrated that they want to get better before getting that star. And it just has to be at the price point they're comfortable with. Yep. And is it too unprotected first? I think they're uncomfortable with that for someone like OG and Anobi. Yes. It, three protected first round picks. I think they'd be fine with it. There's gotta be some sort of happy medium that works for all parties, but there are yeah. enough movable deals here that work where I feel like you could get something that makes sense for them. Yeah. I just want to say all this Mitch trade talk. That's rude. Ah. I'm trying to find uh, ways to keep Mitchell Robinson. <laughs> Man, that would be bold. Talk about leaning into uh, a different way of playing. Um, Being like, Tibbs, you're going to play small ball or you're going to get. Uh, man, how, uh, <laughs> listen, I, the one thing you, you that is tough to deny for as wonderful as Mitchell Robinson has been this preseason. And I think we're all high on what he's going to do this year. If you're going to build your team, at least in part around Jalen Brunson and RJ Barrett, two guys who live and breathe trying to get to the hoop all the time, having a center who can stretch the floor or or someone in the five spot, whether it's a true five or Hardenstein or whatever, that you know, that makes a lot of sense. So man, uh that's this is an interesting one. I, I like how we ended there. Um okay. We're gonna end this episode on the uh, Knicks Film School feed, but to hear the second half of our bold predictions, uh, go ahead and jump over to our friends at Locked On Knicks, where you can find the second half of our bold preseason predictions. All right. Hope you enjoyed that uh, convo. Um, and yes, now I get to say, as I, I recorded the outro immediately after I recorded the intro, the Knicks play basketball today. Woo! They winning this game, Andrew? I, for money line parlay purposes, they better win this game tonight. I got a good feeling. I, I, I think they're going to come out and play well. My fear is that it's a close game in the last five minutes and Memphis makes more shots. Ooh. I actually... Am, I just want to see what that looks like, what the Knicks do with a close game. You know, we saw That's, four blowouts. I've said that. I think, well, three I, blowouts, I, and then they never played the starters in the second half against the Indiana. But, like... I want to see what this new Jalen Brunson led offense looks like in crunch time because he was supposed to fix a lot of problems that they had in crunch time. My my biggest fear by far about this season, if I had faith in their crunch time, if I if you told me that they were going to be a 500 team in um, what the NBA defines as in uh, clutch situations, which is five points or a lead within five points of one another and uh, last five minutes of a game. If you told me they were going to be 500 in those situations, I would tell you, honestly, I think I would predict that they would be a six seed if you told me that they were going to be 500 team in those situations. And if they were going to be better than 500, then 
then we could get really nuts. And then, hey, guess what? They would be the team from two years ago because that team was an above 500 team in such situations. But um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. That's going to be my biggest question. We'll see if it uh, gets that close tonight. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's it <laughs> totally <laughs> all right uh thanks for checking it out don't forget leave a five-star rating drop a review uh we i've been getting the emails that, that tell me what what people are saying about the pod I, I really appreciate all the kind words um if you don't have kind words about the pod then, then don't leave a review um but keep listening we appreciate your your your, your listenership all right uh, enjoy the game tonight uh post game uh afterwards uh pre-game andrew Yes, pregame show on the KFS YouTube channel at yep. 6 p.m. featuring me and a couple of new KFS faces. If you want to join us on playback for the game, we should mention join me, John, and a couple of the other KFS crew on playback. Uh, if you don't know what playback is, it's a way that we can watch the game all together with live commentary from your KFS uh, favorites, or you can just listen to the game uh, audio as well. Although, it's a national game, but it's Mike Breen. So they'll, you'll, you'll be able to go back and forth between the both of us or between us and them. Um, and there's a live chat. You can interact with all of our patrons. Um, just sign up for Patreon. Um, I will have a link out around noon that shows you exactly how to access the room. And all that will take place tomorrow night as we tip off another season with uh, KFS coverage of a Knicks uh, basketball season. Giddy up, baby. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.